0: hear what the uh, Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of Luke. People will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. Just then, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, You need to get out of town and fast. Herod is trying to kill you. And Jesus replied, Go tell that fox today and tomorrow I'll be casting out devils and healing people, and on the third day I'll reach my goal. Even with all that, I'll need to continue on my own journey today, tomorrow, and the day after that, since no prophet can be allowed to die anywhere except in Jerusalem. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often have I wanted to gather your children together as a mother bird collects her babies under her wings, yet you refuse me. So take note, your house will be left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of our God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Saint, you may be seated. Let's, let's pray together.. Mother God, as you gather us under your wing, the same wing that floated over the waters of creation, the same wing that, that gathers, that loves, that protects, that imagines a reality we could never imagine. Gather us under your wing. God because it is the place where we are home it is the place where we are known it is the place where our deepest desires are met in you and so Lord we look to you we look to your presence towards your daily presence in our life and ask that we would journey with you today, tomorrow, and to the third day, the day of your final resurrection and restoration of all things. I pray that you would use the words of a broken man like me for your, for your glory. It's in your name we pray, Amen. Well, we've um, entered the season of Lent, this 40-day pilgrimage leading to Palm Sunday, to this holy week that we just talked about. And the season of Lent, I always find that this is like the hardest weekend for me, you know, because you're like giving up different things, um, maybe sugars or breads or different things, maybe maybe beer, and then St. Patrick's Day shows up. But why do we give up these things if we do? Some of us are just, I don't even understand it or care about it anymore. I've never heard of that, Will. But the reason behind creating space to give up things in our life that take up space, whether that's our phones or foods or drinks or things like that, is so that we can create space in our own hearts and our soul to see the presence of God here and now. The abstaining from something is not to prove some piety or some religious moralism. The abstaining for something is so that we can maybe get behind some of the things that distract us in our lives and get to the deeper desire that is running under the ground of our life all the time. I have come to believe that every action or addiction or things in our life— is coming from a place deep within us, a desire, I would say, that we were created with or that we have that has gone unnamed or unmet. We each have these deep desires in us to be known, to be loved, to be seen. These deep desires in our very being that when they go unmet, unseen, untalked about, they have weird and strange ways of trying to be fulfilled. But some of the scariest work we can do in our life is to dig to the deep, vulnerable desires that we hold. Well, that's what Lent does. Tries to create space so that the questions and the stories of the desires that are in our our heart and our soul begin to move to the surface. You see, the work of Christ always has this way of cutting to the heart of things, the way Jesus asks a question or doesn't answer a question. Jesus always has a way to so quickly, like like a perfect surgeon, to get to the heart of Of people's questions, of their posturing, and of their way in this world. He gets to the deeper desire of the rich man. He gets to the desires of the prodigal sons. He gets to the desires of those who are seeking healing, but really they just want forgiveness and they want to be part of a community. Jesus has a way to always get to those deeper desires in our life. And today's passage is absolutely no different. But the one who the surgeon is coming for may be our very own hearts and our life today. He digs to the deep desires. Today's passage starts by revealing what are the desires of the empire, the world in which Jesus is moving through? What are the desires that Jesus has for this world and for us? And then what are our desires, our longing? This 40-day pilgrimage in which we're following Jesus in Lent is also following this word that he says he is on a journey. a A journey of liberation and healing. But this journey is clear. In Luke 9, it says this thing that changes all of the gospel of Luke. Everything kind of spins at this one moment. In Luke 9, it says, And Jesus turned his face towards Jerusalem. In the middle of the gospel... Jesus is doing this ministry, feeding people, healing people, and then he gets clear about where he is going and why he is going there. And he turns his face towards Jerusalem. And he starts walking to the very place that he knows for sure will end his life. He turns his face to the city that will bring suffering upon his life, death. Upon his life. And he keeps moving and marching forward towards that place. Here it also is more, we try to talk about the suffering in our own lives. We try to turn our face to it, not to act like it's not there. And just say, if you just believe in God, then none of that will happen in your life. We turn our face to suffering to death, to loss, to grief, as much as we can, no matter how uncomfortable it may be. But we often, I know that I often talk about some suffering like, like it's something that just maybe appears one day in your life. You get the phone call that you're not as healthy as you thought, or you lost your father or your mother, or just something, is, suffering just kind of shows its way into your life. There's other types of suffering. There's many types of suffering in the world. The one that we're seeing Jesus engage in is one in which he sees it in the future of his life. And he moves towards it. Not pursuing it so that he'll be holy or better than others. but he sees where suffering is in his life. And he moves towards it. Not away from it. It's one thing for suffering just to show up one day on our doorstep. It's another thing to realize that suffering is going to be a friend that's with us for the long haul. To be honest, that's the kind of suffering I can't stand. The suffering of a child that might be your own, that you can't fix or change, yeah, I'm not turning my face to that. The suffering of a friend, the suffering of others who are oppressed by this world, and it just seems like things aren't going to change. I don't want to turn my face towards that. But Jesus does. He marches on, he journeys day, tomorrow, and to the third day. So as Jesus marches on, things are getting good. People from the east and the west and the north and the south are all starting to show up to Jesus' ministry. He's getting popular. The Twitter feed's getting like hit all the time. Smiles, likes, everything is happening that is going right for Jesus. Upward mobility. And then Jesus turns towards Jerusalem. And as he does, the empire around him is not happy. Herod wants desires, and longs to kill Jesus. I want you to hang on to this word desire, this word want. In the Greek, it's given here twice. And in a third way, it's given as in kind of wanting to ask us a question of what do we desire. The first desire, the first want, it says in our translation this morning, trying. Herod was trying to kill Jesus. The Greek is Herod was desiring to kill Jesus. We see the desires of the empire of the kingdom and of Herod. He desires to get rid of Jesus. This is not the same Jesus that was, this is not the same Herod that was there at, at Jesus' birth. This is the Herod that had just be, beheaded and killed Jesus' best friend two chapters earlier. This is the Herod whose kingdom is starting to get a little unruly because there's prophets and voices and messiahs popping up the eastern flank of the Roman Empire at this time was becoming a little bit unstable. And unstable was was not a thing that Rome really liked. They just wanted to control and let everything be at peace. No matter if that meant killing everyone that wasn't at peace in their realm. And so it's becoming unstable and when trying to maintain stability and security, both for Rome and, I don't know, maybe even for us, the last thing that we want is a popular movement that is critical of the view or of the government. And so, Rome is struggling. It's a little scared. It still has a lot of power, and this person Jesus starts to pick up some popularity, and the idea of people coming from north, south, east, and west and showing up to this upside-down kingdom where the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Rome wants nothing, and Herod wants nothing to do with it. it. He just wants to kill it, suppress it, and get rid of it. And so... The Pharisees, we don't know why. For the first time the Pharisees have like they're like shown in good light. These you know, like, hey, we think someone's coming to kill you. We don't know if like maybe there's a trick behind that, but probably not. Probably the Pharisees just don't want Jesus to die. They're interested enough. Anytime we try to make an enemy of someone in the of in the scriptures, the scriptures always have a way of like making them a hero at another moment. So if you're one of those that just hates Pharisees and the hypocrites of the scripture, Here's a passage where they become the heroes of it. I don't know why God does that. It's something about loving enemies. I don't get it. Um, So they say, Herod's coming to kill you. Jesus does not care. He continues on his journey. And twice he repeats what his journey is. It is a movement that is happening today. It's a movement where I'm just going to walk one more step tomorrow. And it's a movement in which I'm moving closer to the third Day. It is a movement of liberation of people from demons and diseases and oppression. It is a liberation that I talked about, Jesus says, when I spoke first in the synagogue and said, The year of Jubilee, there is the captives will be set free, the blind will see, the oppressed will be given freedom. This is the movement, the journey that Jesus is taking step after step after step. And he's doing it in the very presence of this empire. And they want him dead. This is about Jesus' ongoing ministry of liberation. And it's, distri- it's demonstrating a presence of a different empire. The empire of God, the kingdom of God. And that empire of God is one that is for life and not death, for liberation and not captivity. Herod was using the one most powerful possession that he had, and that was putting the fear of death in people. If you want to know what the power of the empire is, and its only power in our life here and now, it is a fear of death. A fear of death will make us buy anything we don't even need. A fear of death, a fear of not having enough in our life, can control every step and decision we make. And if we think that we don't live in the midst of an empire that has a fear of death, we're just lying to ourselves. I was walking this week through the beautiful city of Chicago And just seeing it all around, all all the different parts of this world are so good, so beautiful, and so broken at the same time. And I just thought, I feel like we're, we're living in the empire. We talk about Rome like it was something back then, but we're living in the midst of it now. The gods are just a little bit different, or maybe they're a little bit more hidden. But the fear of death and its influence in our lives affects how many decisions and ways in which we live when we are living a life based on the scarcity instead of the abundance and the love and the freedom that is the empire and the kingdom and the love of God. I don't even like using the word kingdom or empire for God because it it sounds like this thing that dominates and just takes over and conquers. That's not what the kingdom of God is. It's one in which the last shall be first and the first shall be last. It's one of love, liberation, and freedom. It's like a kingdom we have never seen before. And so Jesus marches on today, tomorrow, into the third day. It is a daily journey of healing and liberating himself and other people. I love that Jesus says, hey, I know Herod's trying to kill me, but I'm just going to focus on today. And then tomorrow, I'm going to focus on that day and the next day. He's not throwing out his big scheme of how he's going to take over Herod or how he's going to conquer death, but but he's throwing it in there. I'm going to live in the present today with the people who are hurting and who need me today. I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow and take one more step until we get to the third day. The third day that he's talking about is this very clear idea of Jesus saying, you know where this whole journey is going day after day? It's going to the place of resurrection. It's going to the place of hope. He said, that's the path I'm on, and no one's going to keep me from it. And so Jesus lives almost like he's not in time, but he lives in the very present. But he also lives in this present moment here, now, today, with the hurts and the needs and the suffering all around him. But he lives in this present moment with the future of resurrection hope right now then and now. He's living with both in one time and in one space and asking us to do the same. Do we live today and tomorrow with the resurrection hope that is already here? Jesus keeps moving forward, fully present to the life that he is within. He's unwilling to be controlled by fear and he calls Herod a fox. I take personal offense to this Jesus because the fox is my spiritual animal, um, which I love. And in, like we have two foxes in our neighborhood. Every morning I go to look to them and talk to them. Sorry, it's just a thing I do. Um, and I love, I love these guys. But so Jesus just calls Herod's a fox. And why does he do so? One is because the symbolization for a ruler for Herod at this time and in this pace would have been a lion. Herod saw himself as a lion and symbolized that through so many different things. Imagine someone who symbols himself as a lion, as a ruler of an area, and then you call him a a fox. It's a little offensive. The kind of thing you would get killed for by the empire. Not only does he call him a fox just because of that, he calls him a fox because it shows us the next part of what Jesus is trying to tell us about Jesus' own deepest desires. We know that the desires of Herod are that of fear, death, and control, but the desires of Jesus are so different. The desires of Jesus we hear in this passage is to be a mother hen that is gathering her beloved children. There's one thing that foxes don't really like. It's mother hens. Jesus knows that he's being called into a place in which the fox may try to destroy the children and even himself. Yet he's willing to take on this role. The role of the mother hen for Jesus is that of a prophet. The prophets of this day were rejected by the powers, by the empires. And not only just like that, they were also rejected by the people. The prophets were rejected by their own people, and Jesus knew this would happen. Sometimes the greatest threat to our life with God and in God is our religion, our own rule, our own doing good, our own systems that we set up. And when the voice of the prophet speaks against those, drawing us closer to the heart of God, we want to kill that voice. In the poem that John Burns read today by Mary Oliver, Maybe, it talks about um, this prophetic way in which Jesus is just living in the world. Right when you think you control him, you know him and he's your personal Jesus that serves your needs, he goes ahead and blows everything up. The poem says, when something different crosses the threshold. What are those voices? What are those ways, God, is that something different that's crossing the threshold of your life? That's just not agreeing with you 100% of the time. So often we find a way to domesticate our prophets. Wendell Berry, on a reflection of this passage, said, Avoid the bad habit of domesticating the prophets of your choice, turning them into a cheerleader of your way of thinking and way of life. Remember all the great prophets were courageous and outrageous folks who railed against the powers that be, challenged self-satisfied piety, threatened the prevailing social order, and would find you falling short in so many significant ways." Oh, how we have domesticated the voice of Christ and of prophets in our life for our own agenda. The last place that Jesus' disciples wanted him to go was Jerusalem. It wasn't safe. It wasn't part of the plan unless he was going to go in there with an army and take over. But Jesus rides in with a donkey and 12 fishermen. What role is this voice of God able to speak to so many of the things in our own life. And Jesus continues, and we see that Jesus' desire, the deepest part of his soul and his desire is to comfort those, to bring them under his wing. But he desires to comfort those that even would reject him, betray him. This is who Jesus longs to bring under his wing, Like a mother hen longing to gather her children from the death of the fox, that is even willing to protect her beloved children when the schemes of the fox are sinking its teeth into her very own flesh. She longs day after day to gather her children, even if it means the loss of her own life. Like a loving mother hen, Jesus desires to shield, to save her children from the powers of death. She longs to spread out her arms, her great wings, sheltering all of creation like it did in the beginning, all that God has made. My friends, this merciful, maternal, outstretched posture that we hear Jesus longing for, to gather those under his wings, Keep that in mind as you move to a Good Friday, when the outstretched arms of Jesus are crucified under the cross, longing to gather his beloved children under his wing. Not too long ago, my friend Keeley came and spoke on the idea and the the theological beauty of God as mother. And she wrote wrote this, she read this poem by Allison Woodward, that says this. It's so good, you need to hear it again. To be a mother is to suffer, to travail in the dark, stretched and torn, exposed in half-naked humiliation, rejected, subjected to indignities for the sake of new life. To be a mother is to say, this is my body, broken for you. In the next instance, in response to the created primal hunger, this is my body, take and eat. Jesus, as he's moving towards Jerusalem, is thinking about you. He's thinking about gathering you and bringing you into the very kingdom, the realm, and to the life of God, away from the fear of death and into the third day, the resurrection. He ends the whole thing by talking about These are the words you will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord when I enter Jerusalem. Palm Sunday, Psalms 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as they're waving their palms and they're celebrating him. We have to ask the question though, why were they celebrating Jesus coming into Jerusalem? Because they knew knew that the fox would get him that the powers, the systems, and the empire, they would end his life. They probably thought that he would be the next military ruler and give them freedom that way. Jesus humbly enters into Jerusalem, the place that he knows is his suffering and his death, because he knows this is the path towards gathering all of creation under his wing and showing them the way of life. It's a movement not just to the cross, but it's a movement to the hope of the resurrection. And so in this Lent season, we know what Herod desires. We know what Jesus desires. The question this passage is asking us is what is it in you that you desire? Right here, right now, today. Do you desire a life free from the fear of death? Do you desire to be present to the life you live right here today with a new and renewed resurrection hope? Is Jesus too wild for you and you desire just to domesticate him to your own personal agenda? Or do you sense your desire, your need, your longing to surrender, to be gathered by the love of God? Friends, the deepest part of your soul, what is it you desire? And may may Christ enter that place. Humble. And may you proclaim his name.